first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, we will be concluding our series in 1 John today, so you can go ahead and get a Bible and go there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there, yonder. Uh, feel free to grab one. I will pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, Jesus, we come to you today as needy people. Uh, we are not here talking to you, the God of the universe, because we have anything to bring or to offer uh, or, or to, to pay you uh, or to give you that you would love us. We talk to you now because we are small and you are big. Jesus, you are seated, ruling and reigning as we speak. Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that comes through the blood of your cross. That comes from your sacrifice in our place. That, be, that comes for your glory as you died and bled to make us right with you. And you make people like us right with you, not because we are good, but because you are good. I pray for myself and for this church and those gathered with us today, Lord, that you would crush any sense of a small God in our hearts or in our minds and that we would see you in your massive glory and beauty and wonder today, God. We all come in from this last week with all kinds of different stuff, from all kinds of different places, but the one thing I know we all need is a big God. The one thing we all need is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The one thing we all need is your body broken and blood shed for our sins. The one thing we all need is your redemption and your restoration. The one thing we all need is new life in you. The one thing we all need is the kingdom of God. The one thing we all need is to be forgiven. The one thing we all need is to be restored. The one thing we all need is you, Jesus. We come for nothing less today than you. That is all we want with our whole lives. And Lord, if we want anything else, crush it. I need a big God. And you are bigger than I can imagine. You are bigger than I can know. And so Jesus, as we come to meet with you, we know you're with us. We know you hear our prayers. Uh, we know you guide us. We know you lead us. We know this is your truth, and it is the truth. And so I pray you would just, just remove whatever is just of me, but you would make the truth of your good news and your gospel shine in our hearts, and that we would worship you well together today as the people of God. Pray for the people, uh, your people, meeting across the globe and across our city and across our region today, Lord, that you would do the same for them. Jesus, we love you and we need you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, for those who are aware, uh, if, you've, if you've never, you know, met with us or you're not aware of this, uh, my wife has been quite sick. Uh, some of you have been praying tough and I really appreciate that. Um, <coughs> uh, she was hospitalized last week, she's home, uh, but it turns out uh, what she has is worse than we originally thought. Uh, she is doing well, better than... Uh, is even to be expected. Uh, she'll hopefully make a full recovery shortly. Uh, but nonetheless, I really covet your prayers and ask you just continue to pray um, for me and for my family in this time. Uh, and so those who need the update, the update is that she's home. Uh, things are, the diagnosis is worse than we thought, but she's doing better than to be expected. So there you have it. Um, and so please just continue to pray for our family. And uh, just thank you for everybody who's helped and supported us um, through this time. 
Um, we're going to be in 1 John here today in chapter 5. Um, we're going to wind down 1 John. And, and what I think is beautiful about this is God's sovereign timing in all things. Um, this text is amazing. I mean, this has been an amazing book to work through, to walk through, to, to learn more about Jesus and grow in dependence on him with you all through. Uh, and here as John lands the plane, we have a situation where John uh, is a Semitic writer, so he writes in these circular ideas. Uh, it's almost better to just sit down and read the whole book in one go, but we haven't had a chance to do that because we have to take it apart and explain it and hopefully see Jesus in all of it. Uh, and he's going to circle around and pick up a bunch of ideas we've hit, uh, but he's going to come back ultimately to this reality, and it's the reality that you and I need, and that is what it is to have a God-centered spirituality, what it is to have God at the center of our life and in our being, and the way that we have God at the center of our life and being uh, in the storms and in the good weather is knowing Jesus, our Lord, uh, and Him crucified. This is the truth that we need day in, day out. This is what I need when things are, when I am brought high and when I am brought low. I know how to do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. This is the power of the gospel in all things. And what John has for us today is a God-centered spirituality. And so often, this was me uh, before I met Jesus. This may be you now if you don't know Jesus and you're here and you're kicking the tires and you're checking it out. And if that's you, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. But hear this. Um, we tend to have a man-centered spirituality, a human-centered spirituality, uh, where we kind of look around at the very spiritual options on the menu uh, and try and pick what suits us best, what feels best for us, what we like the most uh, personally, uh, and we kind of pick and fit our thing uh, to be what we want it to be, and that's just so small. It's so small. It's about me, and it's about what I like and what I think is logical. Now, maybe, like me, maybe you have or will find that as you kick the tires on spirituality and you think about the logic and you look at the menu and you kind of see, what is out there and what are the things that we can have and what, what is on the spirituality of the Barnes & Noble and I'll just sit down and have a coffee and I'll pick off the Bhagavad Vita and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and then maybe something this and something that and I'll check it out and I'll look and I'll bend the pages and I'll put it back and I won't even buy it. And somebody else would want to buy it. They want the new copy and it just sits there. Barnes and Noble, poor, poor Barnes and Noble. Um, but the reality is sometimes, sometimes this lead us, leads us to the truth of the gospel because when you actually put the gospel, and not that it is about it being more logical or, or the best thing that suits me, what happens is the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ stands out against all the things on the menu. Because all the things on the menu are man-centered. They're all about how a human being gets themselves to God. How a human being uh, uh, either uh, realizes that all life is suffering and they must disconnect themselves from reality uh, and kind of unplug and get to a state of nothingness through the, our personal effort and meditation through many lives. Or maybe it's just good karma. I just got to pay it forward and do my thing. Or maybe it's a, I just got to be a really nice person. That's, that's what I have to do. The problem is with the really nice person is I have to live with me. I have to see this guy in the mirror, and I know that this guy at the end of the day isn't always a nice person apart from Jesus Christ. 
or any other thing or any one of us, that this guy is not other-centered, it's self-centered. In fact, all of these things are self-centered. They're about me and the spirituality I like and how I get to God. The reality of the gospel is not about how I get to God, but how God has come down in the flesh and gotten to me. How the God of the universe has entered into human history, lived the life I should have lived, died in my place for my sins to make me right with God, and he has come on a rescue mission, not a menu mission. He is not in an interview with me to be God. Great, have a seat. Uh, okay, so the Upanishads, what do you got? And, oh, how is that? This mm, Yes, I will think about it. Next, please. Uh, in comes the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Oh, very fascinating. Skahandas and different parts. Jesus doesn't sit for my interview. Jesus isn't here to be interviewed by you for a position of Savior. He's not running for re-election. He has come to save you from yourself because you cannot. He's come to pay the price for your sins because you cannot. He's come to live the life you should have lived, always doing right, always being other-centered, always being for God that you cannot, uh, so that you do not have to sit before God and be dealt with in what you've done, but be dealt with in what He's done. We all face judgment. When we stand before God in His holiness and His righteousness and His perfection, uh, we either stand there and have to pay the price for our sins or say, I don't have to because Jesus Christ already has. I belong to Him. And the more we see His glory and His holiness and His perfection, the bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger He gets. And ultimately what John has had as we wind down and land this book, and I pray that you have had or will have, is an encounter with the hugeness and the magnitude and the glory of the God of the universe and the person of Jesus Christ. Now He's coming to people and saying, and I've seen Him face to face, and I must tell you the message of the reality of Messiah. The one who God has promised from the beginning to put things back the way they're supposed to be. I must tell you about him. And you must know him. And you must know what he is about. And at the, at the end of the day, he has for us the radical transformation that makes us able to be people who even appreciate this reality. So we'll start in verse 5. And we're looking for, seeking for, and praying for a really, really, really big view of God through chapter 5. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now what's important here is this believes, this carries the weight of right now. If you're believing that Jesus is the Son of God, if this is true of you right now, something has happened in your life. You've been born of God. We lost born again, temporarily at least. Uh, people check born again. I'm a born again Christian on their uh, census data and doesn't mean anybody anything and nobody knows what anyone's talking about anymore. But there was a time and a place where the word born again meant something. It meant that our transformation and the encounter that we've had with God in the face of Jesus Christ means that the radical experience we've had is so transformative that you and I have had a second birth experience that we are born again through Jesus Christ. And that is why we are now believing that he is who he says he is. We're believing that he's Jesus because he's Jesus and he's made us to be born again past tense. It's happened, yet that thing continues to ripple and ripple and ripple and ripple, maybe tidal wave throughout our whole life. 
It may have happened in the past, but it's moving uh, through our whole life till we go home to be with Him. And this is His grace and mercy. This is the gospel. How much were you involved in you being born the first time? You weren't, just for the record. How much were you involved in being born the second time? You weren't. He came and saved you. He redeemed you. You're believing Him now because He caused you to be born again. I don't deserve that. What a great, mighty, huge, gracious, wonderful, kind God. I'm not interviewing this Jesus. This Jesus is rescuing me and causing me to be born again. And everyone who loves the Father loves who's been born of Him. Amazing. It's a community activity. That we're in a family together now because we love Jesus and because we've been born again, we love the other people who've also been born again. It's a distinguishing characteristic of who we are. We love the people who are the kids of our dad. Welcome to how reality is supposed to work. Right? We live in a time and a place where this might not be the case for every single family in the world, and I understand that. And the beautiful thing about the Gospels, we have this redeemed, wonderful picture of God and the family of God. And I know... Uh, the bummer is not only, not only have people messed with family, uh, the church has messed with family. Uh, I find that sometimes churches and communities can be the way uh, it is to be part of a small business. Have you ever been part of a family restaurant? I have. Washed dishes, cut salad, made raviolis, pasta. I wish I could still do that. I don't even remember how to do these things anymore. It was so long ago. But that's what I did before ministry. I did food service stuff. And here's the thing that I always found. Uh, when you work for a family restaurant, when people are not, well, people are being a little shady. I work for people who have just always been family, and it's always family. But when you work for a family restaurant, one of two things happens. When you need something, when they need something from you, uh, hey, the account's a little tight this week. Could you wait till Monday to cash that paycheck? Remember, we're a family, family business. Yep, no problem. You got it. Oh, you need something from us? Oh, well, you got to be work on time, man. This is a business. I got a business to run here. Well, I, 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 I waited three days. My rent was late because I thought we were a family. Well, yeah, we were a family last week. I need to pay my, cash your paycheck. But this week, I need you at work because I have a business to run. Oh, I see. We're that kind of family. That's not the kind of family the church is to be. To be people who love and care for each other, take responsibility for each other, to be other centered and kind and caring, and put other people first. Love, love God and love others. And I'm on the on the end of the list in the love list of who I get to love. I love God first. I love others next, and specifically the church. I think is what he has in mind here. Oh man, verse eight. We'll make it. I promise. This is really important stuff. So we will make it. Uh, and the Spirit is the one who tests. Oh, I. Psh- it is good stuff, but I need to stay in the verse that I'm actually supposed to be preaching out of so that we can get through that good stuff. Verse 2, I think, is where we are at. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Now, see how wound up it is together? The love of God, the love of the church, the love of the people of God, they're, they're together. They're not, this is not individualistic in its nature. Um, that's hard for us sometimes. We have such an individualistic have a spiritual menu, interview Jesus kind of culture, right? Two, by this we know that we love the children of God, that we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. Equative idea. This equals this. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. He is not a shady dad. What does that mean? Parents tell you to do something, you don't want to do it, you do it anyways because you're supposed to do it because they're your parents and they'll ground you if you don't do it. It's not shady, dad. That's the reality, right? Uh, but as the people of God, when God says, this is, this is my commandment, this is what it looks like to love me, and this looks like what it follows me, and ultimately this is what it looks like to respond to the reality of the gospel. Uh, because the gospel is not about the law. I don't do these things so that God will love me. That is the law. The gospel is God has loved me and so I trust him and I believe him and I do the things he tells me to do because I know he knows things better than I know them. Right? Big God, not little God. Big God. I don't sort out of stuff. Well, I like that one, but I don't like that one. I like this one. I don't like that one. That one stinks. I'll do it anyways because I guess I'm a Christian. They're not burdensome. We trust him, we love him, we believe him, we follow him. We don't sort them out, we take the whole package. Now, mind you, we have to do interpretive work. So should I do everything in the Old Testament law? No, because you should read Matthew chapter 5 where you hear that the Old Testament law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. But there are a lot of things in the New Testament that are restated by Jesus that we do obey. Everything he wants us to do from the old thing, he's restated in the new thing. They're all there in the New Testament. I'll go on. For everyone, or because everyone, who has been born of God, because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I'm not spending my time trying to figure out how much like the world I can be while still being a Christian. My aim is not to figure out how worldly I can be and still wear the label of Jesus. My aim is to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can as I navigate the world. Those are different things. I don't think I have to look far in my own life and in the big C church in America I think a lot of times we're cruising for more how much can I be in the world and still wear the Jesus label rather than how much can I be, how much do I strive for my holiness to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. The question is not how much sin or how close to the line do I come before I cross it in my sin. The question is how do I stay as close as I possibly can to Jesus? Why? The gospel. If I believe his bigness, and I believe what he's done, and I believe he's cleansed me from my sin, and I believe the magnitude of the glory of who he is, and that there is literally nothing better in my life than to chase after him and enjoy him and see his glory and his beauty and his wonder, then why would I chase anything else? Why would I chase anything else? You know, this is not uh, being a monk in a tower somewhere. God has actually created the world, which he called good. He's created creation so that we would know him and love him, right? You can worship God while you're on a hike. You can worship God while you're eating food. You're supposed to take that food and say, me, 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 me. God, I was having on Father's Day with my father-in-law fresh crab that was alive right before I cooked it and ate it. It's a crab, right? It's just a crab. It's like a spider. Nobody likes spiders. It's just a big spider. I cooked it, and I ate it. 
And it's so easy to crack, 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 yum, 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 me, 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 this is awesome, my taste buds, this is great, me, 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 glutton, 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 glutton. Man, God made this thing. And he made my taste buds to interact with this thing in such a way that I'm supposed to interact with that crab to say, God, you are amazing. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus did this. He made crabs to taste a certain way. Spider, when you boil it in the water and then clean it up and eat it. Who knew? Little armored pinching nonsense machine. <laughs> Crack it open, eat it. Delicious. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, the world here, uh, John always uses it pretty much the same way. Uh, the, if the, don't, don't just think, uh, it's a small world after all. Think all the systems, all the things that all the people do that are organized in rebellion against God. Everything where people are trying to displace God from his right place in the center of the universe. Everywhere where we were honestly making war with him. By the way, when we see him in his bigness, he's not the one you want to make war with. Right? He is not the one you want to play king of the mountain with, right? I play king of the mountain with my children. My oldest son is seven. I win when I want to win. You will not win playing king of the mountain with God. You will not displace him from the right, his right place in the center of the universe. Though we often try, we will be dealt with, and we don't want to do that. So we don't want to be part of this thing that's in opposition to him, right? But hear this. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Two words. Our faith. I didn't put together a battle plan. I didn't raise an army. Those all lose. We remember like Alexander the Great. How many Caesars can you name other than by the name Caesar? Do you remember Alexander the Great's kids? Do you know who was a ruling uh, Ptolemy? No? I did until like two weeks ago. They're the guys who were the Greeks in Egypt after Alexander the Great died. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Do you read about the Ptolemies when you read the newspaper this week? Nope. Can you name who was the Prime Minister of England before Tony Blair or after him? Hmm? Ever liked Tony Blair? I don't know why. I don't I have a, it's not opinion. I'm, I'm making no opinion on the Prime Minister. I'm just saying you don't care. Maybe you should. The Bible tells us to pray for leaders. I, I don't think that's just our leader. I think you should pray for all kinds of people. We should be a praying people who pray for all kinds of peoples and places. And yes, yes, absolutely. But no, I'm not going to raise an army to overcome the world. Nor am I going to actually will that in my own life. It, it, it's not me versus the world, and I'm going to do the spiritual push-ups that keep me out of trouble. No, what is it? It is our faith. It is the reality of the gospel. It is the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Who is it that overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How is it that we overcome the world by believing that Jesus is the Son of God? You didn't raise an army and you didn't do the spiritual push-ups. Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the King of everything, came into history and He didn't raise an army either. He died on a cross to defeat Satan, sin, 
and death to set the captives free. All of us who are trapped in our own sin, trapped by Satan, yes, he's real and scary, and by death. We're all ultimately going to die. Death, where is your sting? Why? Jesus died so I don't have to. Yes, my physical body will die if Jesus tarries in my lifetime, but I immediately go to be at home with him, and he's ultimately going to resurrect my body along with all the other people, and those who love him will live in the new heavens and the new earth forever as he restores this world as it is, which means as my wife is sitting in a hospital, and we're not even sure what is wrong with her because she loves the Lord Jesus Christ, she has already beat the sickness that is wrecking havoc on her body. She has already defeated it. Why? Not because she is great, but because the cross is great. Because Christ is great. I don't know what you bring in here this week. I don't know what you're going out to next week. And by the way, there are people here, myself included, who would love to pray with you and walk with you, whatever that might have been or will be. But what I do know as the people of God, we already march in the victory against these things that are organized against us and our King. That changes next week. That changes the jerk boss that you may have who you want to meet Jesus, by the way. That changes that teacher you're dealing with at your kid's school. That changes all the different things and the problems and the obstacles in your life that you have. This life is a vapor. Gone, right? This is Washington. This isn't, this isn't uh, somewhere cold. Uh, when you breathe out, it goes away. That's your life. You get a word picture every, oh, I don't know, August to like June. <sighs> never too cold, but never too hot, except for like 15 days last week. And the week before that, because there's not 15 days in a week. This is he who came, that's Jesus, by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Uh, John probably has a couple things in mind here. He's dealing with Gnostics. Gnostics don't like the, they're hyper-spiritual, body bad, spirit good. Not, not actually unlike um, actual real legit Buddhism. Like all life is suffering and you got to get out of the spirit world, yada, yada, yada. Got to shed this body, got to get out to no thingness. He's dealing with that because he's saying, no, 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 no. God came in the flesh. And they're saying, no, he didn't. I said, yes, he did. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ came, if you don't believe the Jesus Jesus, then you don't believe the Jesus and you don't know God and he came and he likely has birth in mind here, but he also likely has Jesus' incarnational baptism which is physical and real and he likely has the cross in mind as well. It is clear what he has in mind regardless is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the flesh and blood of God himself. And the spirit is the one who testifies Again, it's not an arm wrestling logic battle. That is not our faith. Yes, we need to be smart. Yes, we need to be wise. Yes, we need philosophers. Yes, we need scientists. Yes, we need these people. No, we don't go, la, 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 la. Our faith is reasonable. But it is only reasonable to those who have eyes to hear and ears, eyes to see and ears to hear in the proper order. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. John uses these interesting is, right? Is, it's called an equative verb, is. This is that, right? This does that. This is that. God is love. The Spirit is truth. 
Jesus also says he is the truth. So does that mean that the spirit is all truth? I think what John has in mind is, is, is he's the truth par excellence. He's the best thing, the, the, the truth. The spirit is what the spirit of God does, what the Holy Spirit does in, in writing God's word and empowering the earthly ministry of Christ in directing the people of God and empowering the people of God. That is fundamentally truth. That is the greatest example of truth and truth at its greatest. And of course, the spirit testifies through the working of Christ Jesus. This is why uh, Jesus takes the beef with the blasphemy when he says, uh, you know, that they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit when they're saying that Jesus is doing work by Satan. Because they're saying what God, the Holy Spirit, is doing through Jesus is demonic. And they're blaspheming when they're doing it because the Spirit's work in Jesus, the anointing of Jesus with the Holy Spirit by the Father, Trinitarian work, is God's mark of approval on Jesus that this is Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the Son of God. Watch it go. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, so if we, if we take, you ever, ever had someone tell you a story and say, oh, I believe that. Someone told you something, you know, such and such happened, this great world event happened, uh, Krispy Kreme turned 78, and so you could buy a second dozen donuts for 78 cents, amazing believed him, right? And you went and got that second dozen donuts. And you ate them all by yourself. If that's actually you, I didn't know that, but you can talk to God about that, I suppose, if we're having that kind of moment. That's not where I was going. I'm just saying you believed it. Well, if you believe what a person says, believe God. If you believe what a person has spoken, believe God. If you believe people, believe Jesus. What he's trying to get at. You want to believe people? Believe God. But, but listen to this. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. This testimony is of a big God. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. His life, his earthly ministry, his incarnation. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. You have not picked on a menu and you have not done an interview with Jesus. The big God of the universe has sent his son to enlighten your mind and your eyes and your heart and given you life and you've done nothing to earn it and it's yours and it lives inside of you. Like the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. To be a Christian, to have a God-centered spirituality is huge. It's to be in a constant relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. John would not fit in well in Seattle in 2015. He just does black and white. You're in, you're out. Nope. You love Jesus, you don't love Jesus. This Jesus... Not some other Jesus, not some Gnostic Jesus, not some pretend Jesus, this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. You don't believe Jesus, you don't believe the Bible, you're not a Christian, you're out. John, you're not supposed to say that. Shh, you got to be cool with everybody. Nobody likes that. It's cool because they're not going to talk to him anyways. If they're neighbors, they're just going to like look out the window, and when, he, when, when John's out getting the mail, they're going to hide, and then when John goes in, then they'll go out to catch their cab. They'll wait. Wait for me. My neighbor's checking the mail. I'll come. Is your neighbor weird? No, I'm just from Seattle. I, I can't say hi to my neighbor 
He has to come, once he gets the mail, once his garbage, oh no, he's getting the garbage. Just start the meter running, I'll be out in a minute. Okay, go. I digress. And you know I'm right. Unless you, maybe this is my neighbor, is it my neighbor? No, I, I know I'm right. I've lived in enough neighborhoods in Seattle for long enough to know the story. But I have a casserole. Uh, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Listen to this. Listen to this. So, most of us are healthy. Most of us have good health and good standing. I don't Anchor Church has existed for six years and I've never done a funeral. Your deathbed and my deathbed are coming. Friends, they are coming for you and for me. And I want you to know this truth. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have a son does not have Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins, and you're going to have to. And I say that with the most love and care and concern for your soul that I possibly can say. And also, if you're in that spot, if you've been forgiven for your sins, you don't have to sit worrying, did I do enough to be forgiven by God? Did I do enough good things to offset the bad things that God might let me into his kingdom? Wrong. You are, if you believe in Jesus, you have life. Now, I would encourage you, don't wait for your deathbed to start living the life that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you to know Him and to love Him and enjoy Him regardless of your circumstances or wherever you find yourself. You've been given life. Live. Live. We are so petty and selfish and self-centered that we miss that He's given us life. Thirteen. I rate these things. This is the last time he's going to say it. So if you've been tracking with us through uh, 1 John, or if you go home and read it, it's five chapters. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. You can do that this afternoon. It's the last time he's going to say this to us. He said it to us a bunch. But whenever he says it, know that he's about to say something important. Remember? Just as quickly, right? So this is the, the late 90s A.D. John's an old man. Kids, listen, is what he's saying. Kids, listen to me. He's not going to say children again. He said it a bunch. He's not going to say that again. But he's listen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You need to know this if you're a Christian. He wants to put us to rest. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you, if you have a life that's evidenced by the fact that you know him and love him, you have eternal life. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are Christ. You do belong to God. You are a child of God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven, redeemed, loved. Know it, friends. Know it. Live it and enjoy it. The church should never the church should never be a people who are busy listening to sad. You can listen to sad music. Your friend Christ will listen to sad music. But we should not be marked by being macabre or bummed out or sad or sort of depressed kind of people who listen to sad, sad music over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I, I know. This is, 
this is Seattle. Some of us struggle just because it's cloudy and it's hard, and I'm not in any way belittling that very real reality. The truth is that God is huge, and you've been given life for joy and for enjoyment. Not just your enjoyment, by the way. The enjoyment of him for his glory and his immensity and his beauty. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. his people we want what he wants right you pray his will your kingdom come your will be done jesus help us right this is not jesus jump through the hoops and give me what i want this is very personal to me i'm sitting in the er with my wife can we go home now jesus please just make her better okay now we're checked into the hospital can you can you get us out of here today no Okay, you're God, I'm not, and no matter what happens here, no matter, I mean, we so often just want to say, it's going to be okay, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it, don't worry, everything's going to be fine, da 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 If you know Jesus, I can say to you, no matter what, everything is going to be okay. If you know Jesus, I can say, no matter what happens today, everything is going to be okay, period. But that's not asserted on me just sort of like willing it, like it's going to be fine, we're going to be fine, everything's going to be fine. God is God, he is huge, he loves you, and not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality, nor anything can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What we want is glory. We like parades, we like things to be easy, we like things to be nice. Jesus got a parade right before they put him on the cross, and he died for our sins. Christian life is at the foot of the cross. Christian life is in God's strength being made manifest, not in my awesomeness or my hugeness, but in my smallness. Sometimes in my pain. Now, now this doesn't mean we go looking for it. I don't go look, looking for a painful life because a painful life feels holy. That's not the case. That's, some people peddle that stuff. That's garbage. But the reality is there are pains in our lives. And, and honestly, feelings are real and feelings count. Right? Like, your pain is not my pain. I can't get in your life and your spot and your situation and know your pain. I can weep with the weeping. I can pray my guts out for you. I can walk with you. I can hold your hand. I can pray, pray, pray. I can be there for you. But I don't know what it is to be you. Fortunately, we have a faithful high priest. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, who's made like his brothers in every way so that he could do that. So that he could. So that he could say, I know. So that he could do it. but never think that you're not heard. And our ultimate prayer is your will and your kingdom. And you know what? The world is going to come the way he wants it to be. The kingdom is now and it's not yet. The kingdom is coming where the throne of God is in the center of all things and the river of life flows from that throne in the new heavens and the new earth where every tear is wiped from every eye and everything is as it ought to be. That is coming and we can stand on that promise. 
which makes this what? This makes Paul say crazy stuff. Light, momentary afflictions. I stopped my own timer, so we're all in the wrong heaven. It was a second ago, though, so you're okay. Light, momentary affliction, remember? Light, momentary affliction. Yeah, maybe it's a struggle. Maybe the fight for joy is a struggle. You also need to know this is a light, momentary affliction. Compared to what? Joy. Parade's not now. Our parade's coming. The parade where we throw down our crowns and hail the king and worship him face to face for all time. He went and sees his brother. Oh, man. Did I leave enough time for verse 16? Okay. I'm going to preach this. I'm also going to clean up and put up my notes on the city on this verse. Because I know this is a verse that is, maybe, maybe not, maybe this isn't anybody in here, right? Maybe it's other people I know, right? I know this verse has kept a lot of people up and freaked people out, and people don't know quite what to do with it. I will explain it. Uh, I think it's actually, when you take it apart and you look at the context, I think it's there. But I'm also going to throw my notes up uh, on the city. Uh, I'll have them up probably, hopefully, with the circus that is my life at the moment, my aim is to have them up by tomorrow. Uh, if they're not up by tomorrow, pray for me. I'll try and get them on Tuesday. Um, but I'll clean them up. I'll put them up, and you can have a look at what's there. But here's what I think is happening. So with that, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. Now, this is okay here, right? This is just Romans, and we're okay. This isn't, what are you talking about, John? I'm not sure. But he says this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, which that one can keep us up, but honestly, that has a pretty clear explanation. It's that he says this. Uh, oh, wait, no, I missed it. I'll just skip over the hard parts. That's my new preaching method. We'll skip over the hard parts and need notes, and we'll just say, we'll just sing Jesus loves you and move on again and again. I'll start at the top, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. What? What are you talking about, John? Here's what I think he's talking about. So on one side, we have the sins not leading to death. If, if you've read John, you'll see that anyone who says they're without sin is a liar. Okay, I am a Christian. I love Jesus. Radically more sanctified than I was when I first met him. He continues to sanctify me and change me. I love him. I know him. I'm thankful for him. I still sin, and I know that I have an advocate with the Father. This is all chapter 1, by the way. You can go back and read it. I'm just, this is just John chapter 1 at the end. Uh, pardon me, it's chapter 2, right at the beginning. Sorry, I can see it in my mind. There it is. Um, but if we do sin, we have an adequate with the Father, Jesus Christ, which means when I sin, God goes, Jesus goes to God and says, covered, paid for, forgiven. Now, that's not my license to sin. It's not where you start texting people about keg stands later on today. That is simply uh, the fact of what it is to be in the gospel. You are forgiven, and you are being sanctified. That's, a, that's good news. Okay. Now, what does it mean to pray for people? That means that, that, that this is a church where you can say to your friends, you can say to your community group, you can say to your pastor, you can say to whoever, Hey, I'm in trouble and I need some help. Hey, I'm struggling here and I need some help. This is my life and it's, 
it feels like it's tanking right now, and I need some help. And part of that is people praying for you, coming alongside of you and praying. And there's even a great confidence in what happens when the people of God pray for people who are in the midst of their struggle. This is a community effort of sanctification. Uh, that There's something beautiful that happens when the people of God are praying for those who are wrestling, fighting, and dealing with their sin. Now, why would you say not to pray for that sin leading to death? Here's what I think he has in mind. So, you know, if you're, if you're in Seattle and you have kids, it doesn't take long before kids ask questions or have to avert eyes from this, that, or the other. Why do they have that business? Why do they have to do that? Well, because they objectify human, pe- human beings. They belittle them, uh, those who are in the image of God. Well, that's horrible, and that should go, and I hate it. Yeah, me too. So great, they close down the business, whatever it might be, whatever immorality they're after. Great. They just open another one in the next town. Great, you made a law even. They said, you have to go. You have to get away from the school. I'm not saying any of these things should be by a school, for the record. I'm just saying, cool, you kicked it away from the school, and they just open it up in the next town uh, where the people don't have enough money to hire a lawyer to write a law and get people to vote for it, and they'll just move and take advantage and objectify someone somewhere else. Cool. It's not cool. So what I've always told my children, and I would encourage you to do the same, son, let's pray for them. Let's pray for the people they're objectifying. Let's pray for the owners of those things. Let's pray, not that that thing would get shut down, but that God would change their heart, and then they would shut it down. Because if someone is walking in a sin, if someone's walking in a sin, and cool, they stop the sin, they clean up, they, they put on a suit and a tie, and it's Sunday, and they show up at a place with community, and they do the thing, but they're just as much rejecting Jesus as they were before they stopped doing X, Y, or Z. They're in just as much trouble as they were before that happened. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. You go to long and distant lands, make them twice a convert of hell than you are. Oh, goodness, that's not good. It's in the Bible. I'm not just making that up. It's in the Bible. So I think what we're supposed to do is we pray for their souls. We're not supposed to pray about the sin. We're not supposed to stop doing the thing and behave. We're not after behavior. We're after hearts. We're not after uh, outward stuff. We're after the inward change of heart. I think that's what he is after, and I will put my notes up before that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. He's clear. It's not okay. It's not okay. And, and also, by the way, why he says this thing, um, I do not say that anyone should pray, uh, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. This is the same problem that Paul is dealing with in 2 Corinthians. These are Gnostics. So they're hyper-spiritual, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm hyper-spiritual, which means they're saying, well, my body doesn't count, so I can do anything with my body that I want. And both Paul and John here are saying, whoa, no, 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 no. What they're not saying is perfection. That's, That's not what he's after. He's dealing with Gnostics here, saying, no, no, I love Jesus, I'm a spirit being, I just have this body, this body can kind of do whatever. Nope. That's the keep on sinning that he's after. We know that everyone has been born of, oh, sorry, yeah, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. This is, this is repeated. This is pattern. This is unrepentant sin. You don't look at a sin and say, I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what Jesus says. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just going to do it. Uh, that would be a problem. We are not in the business as a church that does membership. When, when someone's a member of our church, we say, we affirm this person is a Christian. That's what it is to be a member of the church. They take responsibility for the church. The church takes responsibility for them, and we affirm them as a Christian. Um, when you can't do that, He's saying, well, they keep on sinning. They're doing something that they know the Bible says is wrong, and I can't affirm. We're not saying they're not a Christian. We're saying right now we can't affirm them as a Christian. That's what we're saying, because guess, guess whose job that is? 
not mine. That's whose job? Jesus' job to say who is and is not in the kingdom. However, on earth, he has given us that, that responsibility. I digress. No, I don't digress. That's the wrong word there, but it sounds good. Uh, he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Uh, he who has been born of God in this case, this means Jesus. This is Jesus here. It's Jesus who protects us or keeps us, and the evil one does not touch him. When you belong to Jesus, the devil has no room or authority in your life. That's what that means. He can beat the drum. We can write the rhythm. We can go along with him. But as a Christian, Satan has no authority in your life whatsoever. He can say, come on, do this thing. Wouldn't that be nice? And you can say, yeah, but you don't. That's not for you. It's in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. We resist the devil. He flees from us. That's what we do. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know we belong to Jesus, which means what? We're going to dig into 1 Peter here next week or two. What is to be elect exiles? What is to be the people of God on planet Earth? Yes, I'm American, and I have a passport, but my citizenship is ultimately in heaven. My life lies with that kingdom. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. It's another one of those things. He's given it to us. We have it, and it ripples and tidal waves into our life. Now, I will nerd for just one moment because I must, so you can understand what John's after here. So remember, John's Semitic. He's a, he's an, he's a, Jew, he's a Galilean, right? He's, he's Jewish. He's a Jewish Christian. He's a, however you want to say that. He's one of the people of God, and he's steeped in the Old Testament. Now, this word here, understanding, is the same word that's used in the Old Testament for the word heart, the seat of the human person. So, I don't think what he's just saying is, hey, he's giving you some cool information and you have a better chance at reading the menu. I think what he's after here is, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us, he's given us heart. He's given us a new heart and a new life because without being completely and totally rewired by the God of the universe, we do not have ears to hear. We do not have eyes to see. We cannot be rescued and we cannot be born again. And that the Lord of the universe has, has to have come and rewired us so that we can know him, love him, and follow him. My wife, I'll brag on her for a moment because I care about her deeply. And she's a great evangelist. She's a better evangelist than me any day of the week. We're sitting with our neighbor. We live just a few blocks from here at the time. Um, and we're talking about it. He's, we're talking about the gospel. And she's cut, she cuts right to the chase in this like loving way that he just keeps inter engaging in dialogue. She's awesome. This is kind of how she, she rolls and she operates. Um, and he says, you know, all this Jesus stuff sounds awesome. I'm just not wired for it. She looks at him really lovingly and she looks him right in the face and says, that's okay, none of us are wired for it. You actually need the Holy Spirit to come and rewire you so that you can know him and you can love him. And she was absolutely right. I don't reach up for God. God reaches down for me. It's only when he's opened my eyes and the scales have fallen off and he's given me this rewiring, he's given me the heart, he's given me the eyes, and the ears. I see him and I say, oh, you are God and you are all that I want with all that I have. This is what John is after. This is a big view of God. This is a big spirituality. This is a big understanding of who God is. And now we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. We need that new heart so we can know Him. And we are in Him who is true. This is the reality of your position with God. You are in Christ. You are in God. 
I know how to be brought low and to be brought high. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. And remember, when John says eternal, he doesn't just mean duration, he means quality. He's been after our life this whole time. In these five chapters, he's been after our life lived in the bigness and the hugeness of God through his son and the power and the just amazing reality of the gospel and living our lives, yes, in an ethic and in response to that, but not so that he will love us, but because he has loved us, we respond to his glory in all circumstances. And he leaves us with this in 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Now, as he winds down the letter, as we wind down the sermon, this could mean one of two things, that he just sort of tacked it on in the end. BT-dub, keep yourself from idols. Thanks, Paul. John? <laughs> Not John Paul. John. We're doing Romans in the fall, and I've been thinking about Paul a lot lately, and so Paul's on my mind. Now, I think this is a, this is a juxtaposition. Idols are what we want. Idols are what we put. An idol is anything, anything, something good, something bad, whatever we do that we put in the center and make the object of our life, the point of our life, which is ultimately worship. Jesus Christ, when we have this new understanding, belongs in that place. It's not random. It's not random. If you don't know Jesus, you have idols there, uh, you could be an atheist and still be an idolater. The reality is you need Jesus in that spot. You need him to rescue. You need him to save you. You need him in that spot. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourself from the world. Keep yourself in Christ. When I don't believe this, right, when I don't believe the heart and the reality of Jesus, I turn to idols. What I need is the stuff of God, not the stuff of men. When I understand and see who God is, I say, your will, Lord. When I see Jesus in his glory, I know that it's about him and the redemption that he's worked in my life. When it's about me and I'm at the center, it's do my thing, do what I want, God, give me what I want out of the deal. When I'm at the center of my own spiritual walk, it's all about white knuckling. It's all about spiritual pushes. It's all about how good I can be. It's all about how hard I try. And when I rest and find my hope in Christ Jesus, the ethic flows out of the love. My walk flows out of my belief. What I do flows out of who he is. That's what we get. That's what John wants for us. That our whole life would flow out of the bigness and the hugeness of Jesus and the forgiveness and the reality of the gospel and the life we've given so that we would see him for how big he is and we would proclaim the name of Jesus with all that we do and that, that our aim would be to be small and to make Jesus big. We'd say with John the Baptist uh, that I must decrease so that he may increase and that we do everything we can to push ourselves out of the way to make the name Jesus as big as possible. Why? Because we've been forgiven, we've been loved, we've been empowered, we've been given life. We're going to transition now to communion. When we approach the cup, when we approach this table, what we're doing is we're proclaiming a big God. We're proclaiming the incarnation of God. And we're proclaiming this reality in our life, that we believe the Son of God, that we, in fact, are His people, and that His body broken and blood shed was shed so that we could be forgiven and that we could be given life and that we are part of this new covenant reality 
that is to be his people. So this is for Christian people only. Uh, if you are a Christian, you're welcome to partake of this cup. Uh, logistically, what we have here is we have gluten-free on the far side. We have um, regular in the middle. We have juice, we have wine, and we have a basket for the offering. When we, when we, du- when we dip these things in the cup, this is his body broken and blood shed for us. So we, we consider our sin and we repent of our sin, but we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. And when we stand up to sing and we stand up to take this cup, we stand up as a people. We do this together. We stand as a people who are celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection. An ultimate life that we've been given for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Jesus, you are God Almighty. Jesus, you are God Almighty. Help us, Lord. We can be so petty. We can be so caught up and wrapped up in the past or in the present or even in the moment. And that all those things, we forget you and who you are and who we are because of who you are. We forget what you've done in our lives to redeem us. We forget the incarnation and the reality of your kingdom coming and the reality of your kingdom come. And so we just pray now, God, that you would continue to open our eyes to give, give us a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger vision of your glory and help us to, with such great joy, respond to that glory. Help us to understand the depth of the forgiveness And help us to live in the wake of that forgiveness as blood-bought, forgiven people. Help us to understand the life that you've given us and the life that is coming. Help us to live. We just confess right now, it's not about trying harder, it's about seeing you more. It's not about more effort, it's about more Jesus. It's about seeing and beholding you more and more and more and putting everything we've got into responding to that reality. You are not impressed by our efforts, but you will empower our efforts to be about you and your kingdom. So help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.